are Locked On Giants, your daily San Francisco Giants podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello and welcome to Locked On Giants Baseball, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. My name is Ben Kaspik, and on this show, we provide daily episodes, Monday through Friday, approximately 22 to 30 minutes in length, talking about the San Francisco Giants in a way that's data-driven and rational, but also simple, passionate, and accessible to all. I'm a former contributor for the baseball statistics and analysis websites Beyond the Box Score and Rotographs. I've been podcasting about the Giants since 2015, and I'm a lifelong fan. Coming up on today's show, it is our Friday tradition. We are going to do a mailbag. And I say it's our Friday tradition, but I often get sidetracked and don't do them. But moving forward, as the season gets going very soon here, we are going to be pretty consistent with that. Thank you so much to everyone who submitted questions on Twitter. You can follow me there, at Ben Kaspik, to submit questions for future mailbags. So jumping right in, Juan Barajas asks... Duggar, is he making the team, making a strong case? And he is making a strong case. The The kind of backstory, if anyone hasn't been paying super close attention, is that specifically Stephen Duggar has hit a couple of impressive opposite field homers in recent spring games. He really does look quite a bit more comfortable if you watch some of his at-bats. Swing stance looks a little bit different. Looked kind of funky last year. It was a change last year. He got a lot more upright, but it still looked funky. And he's always been a thin guy. I know I'm kind of diverting here, but he looks like he's filled out a little bit. We have heard that he added some muscle. And so, you know, an ability to elevate the ball maybe a little bit better and adding some muscle is a good combination. The fact is, though, that it is spring training. And Duggar has had some pretty nice seasons in the minors, so it's not like he's incapable of looking good at times offensively. So, you know, the other fact is that he just has not hit in 135 career major league games. So he has a long way to go. Like, the improvement he needs to make is pretty great and substantial. And so I still think that he is a long shot to make the team Especially when we consider the fact, like we talked about yesterday, that the Giants opening the season at Seattle are going to face a bunch of left-handed starting pitchers. And so I don't see them carrying Duggar to start the season because he's already a long shot, plus he wouldn't be starting anyway. The fact is he's a really good defensive center fielder, so if he can hit, there's a lot of intrigue there. But the other fact is that Mauricio Dubon also looks like a pretty darn good center fielder, probably not on that same level as Duggar. But it's not like they're just lacking a true center fielder. He definitely fits a need as a left-handed center fielder. If he can hit, I am not giving up on Duggar. I just think, you know, chances are he does not make the opening day roster despite the recent strong performance in spring. So Raj says, out of... Lamont Wade Jr., Jason Krizan, Jason Vossler, and Steven Duggar, who do you think makes the biggest impact this year? And that's a really good question. All of those guys offer some intrigue 
and all of them offer like very little certainty. So I'm going to say Krizan is the least likely among this group. I'm kind of process of elimination. Honestly, I think it's Lamont Wade Jr. They're not giving up Sean Anderson for a guy they don't envision having a role. I think Jason Vossler being signed, like a big reason they did that was because they they were lacking that type of player on their 40-man roster, except then they went out and got La Stella, and he kind of is that exact type of player also. Left-handed infielder who can play third and second. But Lamont Wade Jr., there's definitely a role to be had there if he can play center field especially. He's kind of like filling that Steven Duggar role, but they're very different players. Wade Jr., as I said with Duggar, Duggar has a lot to to make up to become a good offensive player, but Wade Jr. doesn't really have that much left that he would need to do. If he hits for a little bit more power, the the on-base skills and the contact skills, I think leave him with the potential of being at least like league average offensively and possibly better than that. So I think he's a solid all-around player. They targeted him specifically. I know they also targeted Vossler, but Krizan is on a minor league deal. Vossler and Wade are on the 40-man roster, and so is Duggar, but they didn't specifically target him. So yeah, I'm going with Wade Jr., Bet online is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your sports action. Football might be over, but the NBA, college basketball, and the NHL are in full swing, and baseball is less than three weeks away. Bet online even covers awards, TV shows, reality TV. They've got real-time updated odds and props on almost anything you can imagine. Bet online has you covered for all the news, scores, and odds. It's the best place to place your bets, and it's free to sign up. Not only is it free, but if you head to their website or use your mobile device and use the promo code Locked On, you will get a 50% welcome bonus with your first deposit. Lots of baseball action over there right now, so be sure to check it out. Bet online, your online sportsbook experts. Today on the Locked On Today podcast, on the one-year anniversary of the NBA shutting down due to COVID, an NCAA team is forced out of the tournament due to a positive test. Get more of the sports news you need in less time with the Locked On Today podcast. Follow the Locked On Today podcast on the Radio.com app or wherever you get podcasts. All right, here we go. More questions. Skyler asks, Elliot Ramos up this year? And then Karan says, Does Elliot Ramos's timeline get moved up at all by his good showing so far in spring? So to answer your question, Skyler, I definitely think that Elliot Ramos will come up this year. Uh, I think Cobert Gobert replied to you and said 99% likely that he'll get called up. I kind of, I think that's exactly right. I'm like super confident, but there is a tiny chance that it doesn't happen. I guess maybe it's more like 90, 95%. It, it would be based on if he doesn't have a good minor league season, then they probably won't call him up. And that's always a possibility that he won't have a good minor league season. But assuming that he does, I think he's a guy they want to have debut in 2021. And I do think that the showing he's put on so far in spring has opened some eyes. That type of game power that he's been able to get to, he's hit, you know, line drive home runs the other way. 
and he's pulled 480 foot home runs. I'm just making up that number, but that's how far it looked like it went. He looks determined. He looks ready. I mean, we're seeing guys like Joey Bart and Marco Luciano struggle in spring. And Luciano, I'm not going to hold it against him. He is much younger and much less experienced than the players he's facing right now. But Elliot Ramos, he's just like, no problem. You guys need to be scared of me. That seems to be his attitude. He's just up there to do damage and to have good at bats. And everything he says when you hear him interviewed, you know, he's just, he's hungry and he's committed to doing whatever he needs to do to get better and to make the major leagues. So I do think he's definitely making a statement so far. It can always change. Like, for example, Jason Vossler started off the spring so great, and now he's really been struggling these last few days. So that could always change, and I'm not going to read too much into it. I'm not going to say his timeline has been pushed up just because of what's been going on, but if he continues to hit well in the spring, there's going to be a lot of attention, and then if he like goes to the minors and tears it up, fans are going to be clamoring for Elliot Ramos like they were clamoring for Joey Bart. I think the team will be disciplined in terms of choosing when the right time is to bring him up, but there's no doubt that he's got their attention with what he's been able to do. Adam asks, do you think acquiring Will Wilson for cash was a steal? Asking for my friend who is down horrendous in the Seams Heads group chat. I have no idea what that means. I think you mean possibly downright horrendous. I don't know. Let me know. But to answer the question very clearly, I definitely think the Will Wilson trade was a steal. You can go all the way back to the podcast I did that day or the next day. I was gushing about the Will Wilson trade. And honestly, it's one it's one of my pet peeves when people say that there was any kind of risk or downside with the Will Wilson trade. Fans historically clamor for their team to like spend more money and do something and be active and we shouldn't care about, you know, owner's wealth and they should be spending on this team and blah blah blah. And those are valid points, but so literally the only thing of consequence that the Giants gave up in the Will Wilson trade was cash, right? They took on Zach Cozart's contract in order to buy a 15th overall pick. And we honestly, you should go back and listen to that episode if you want to hear me talk all about this. It was in December 2019, but basically the value of a 15th overall pick is way greater than the 13-ish million dollars that the Giants essentially paid for Will Wilson. And it's commonly misunderstood, or at least some people have misunderstood it, that the slot value of that draft pick is the actual like open market value. And it's not. The slot value is just kind of assigned to that pick. But if teams could like pay the for the right to pick 15th in a draft, the math has been done on this and it would, I forget, go listen to the episode. I talk all about it and I have the number. I think it's like in the vicinity of $20 million, maybe $25 million. So the Giants, by paying like $13 million for Wilson, they also gave up a, a low-level player. I'm forgetting who the player was. But anyway, I could go on and on. It was a steal. 
And you should see the quotes by the Angels general manager after making that trade. He said that it made him very uncomfortable and he's shocked that more teams weren't jumping at the opportunity, which tells me the Giants were the only franchise that was willing to drop cash to buy a prospect. Like Other teams were like, no, we're going to hold on to our cash. The Giants are out here spending money to get their farm system better, and you love to see that, and they don't get enough credit for that. And last point, Wilson faced his former team, the Angels, yesterday. He made the start at third base and played beautifully, made some good plays on defense, and hit a three-run double with two outs early in the game that gave the Giants the lead that they would later give, give up. But he had a huge game against his former team, just kind of shoving it to them, and you love to see it. We've been telling you about Built Bar, the best-tasting protein bar on the market for a while now. Built Bar is the amazing, low-calorie, low-sugar, you know that's important to me, high-protein, high-fiber, amazing-tasting protein bar with 100% chocolate on all bars. Now it's time to find out which Built Bar is the best. It's Built Bar Madness. We are in the sweetest 16, and our first matchup is Churro Puff versus Cookies and Cream. Churro Puff took down Apple Almond Crisp in the first round, and now it faces Cookies and Cream in the Sweet 16. Go to BuiltBar.com or to at Built underscore Bar on Twitter. Remember to use the promo code LOCKEDON20 to get 20% off your next order. That's LOCKEDON20 to get 20% off your next order at BuiltBar.com and check back to see who won today's matchup and who will become the best-tasting protein bar. Jesse asks, even though spring training games don't matter, what are some stats that can be actual indicators of success in the regular season? So I actually wanted to get to this one earlier in the week when we did, when we did a mailbag, but the reason I didn't is because I honestly don't know that I can answer this with confidence because my inclination is to say there's not really any stats that I would necessarily trust out of spring training. Like, even if we look at StatCast data, you know, expected weighted on base average, like really sophisticated kind of stuff, I'm not sure that necessarily tells us a whole lot because, you know, the problem with that, for example, like we said with Steven Duggar, he might legitimately be having a really good spring. I don't have his numbers pulled up, but I know he's hit a couple opposite field bombs. But even if he's just, tearing the cover off the ball and the expected numbers back it up, the stat cast numbers. The problem is the level of competition that he's facing. And even if he's facing top competition, we don't know how far along they are. We don't know if they were just working on throwing nothing but fastballs or sliders or one pitch in that outing. Yes, we can like see were they throwing just one pitch, but the fact is I don't know what numbers exactly end up correlating between spring training and the regular season. But my inclination, again, is to say not not any of them that I know of. I think what probably does translate the best is some of the stuff that we don't have access to, like the blast motion data, like, you know, that can measure the, the your bat path and your the speed of your bat head through the zone. I think that type of thing, like if you can make strides have a more efficient bat path, if you can have a if you can swing the bat even harder 
especially if you have a good bat path, that type of thing is probably more correlated with, with regular season success than anything. And for pitchers, you know, it's the spin rate, spin efficiency, velocity, the shape of your pitches, kind of under the hood numbers about individual players. This is stuff the team has, but they don't share publicly. I think that's probably what they're looking into the most. Pac Bell Partisan asks, for your money, who is the current giant most likely to break out of a platoon role? This one really had me thinking. This would be a much easier question if you said, which current giants do you think is more likely to fall into a platoon role? Because I could tell you, I think Evan Longoria, it could definitely happen with someone like Brandon Crawford. I think Longoria is number one there, but that's not what you asked. So who's even platooning? Let me try to answer the question that way. Like, are there really any strict platoons outside of left field with Alex Dickerson and Darren Ruff slash Austin Slater? Like, Mauricio Dubon was starting every day. Mike Yastrzemski was starting every day. Brandon Crawford was starting every day. Brandon Belt was starting against a lot of lefties. Wilmer Flores and Donovan Solano weren't being platooned because there was no lefty to play that position, and likewise at third base. And then at catcher, it was Joey Bart. So they really actually didn't platoon all that much, despite like the fact that I talk about platoons nonstop and call the Giants a super platooning team. The thing is, the way they platoon kind of is in all their pinch hitting. So they would take advantage of some late game situations, and they did a lot of pinch hitting. I don't know. Maybe I'll just go with Mauricio Dubon because their situation in center field is kind of up in the air. It's unclear if he's going to be platooned, but you would think that he should be, but they don't necessarily have that answer. Like the question was asked about Duggar. Is Duggar against right-handed pitching really a better option than just seeing what you can get out of Dubon in more of an everyday role? I don't know if that's true. And then is the defense good enough for Dubon in center where you want him out there every day? So this is a really tough question. It really got me kind of thinking about the roster even in almost a different way because you assume they have all these platoons, but it's just not clear that they even do. And that's because guys have earned playing time. There's just up and down the roster. It's like, well, Belt hit like an MVP. So how are you going to platoon him? Crawford hit really well and his defense is really good. So how are you going to platoon him? And on and on, like Slater, Ruff, Dubone. You can make a case that all of them should be playing. Anyway, unfortunately, that is all the time we have for today. I have like a thousand more really good questions that I wanted to get to. I'm going to save them again like I saved last week's holdovers. So not to worry, if you asked a question, I will save it and it will be considered for a future mailbag. Thank you so much for listening. Come back on Monday when we talk about the three things we learned over the weekend. Once again, my name is Ben Kaspik. You can follow me on Twitter at Ben Kaspik. That's K-A-S-P-I-C-K. If you like this show, you know what to do. Please consider rating it or leaving a review. If you haven't done so yet, what's stopping you? I would appreciate it so much. Let me know. Take a screenshot. I'll totally retweet you and give you some love on Twitter. So just throwing that out there. Have a great weekend. I can't wait to be with you again on Monday. So until then, we'll see you next time.